Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back for another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast. And today we're going to be talking about inclusion and the practices uh, that kind of go along with that. Really some backstory with some of those efforts that are taking place in our state. And I'm really grateful to have Amy Roan, who is the administrator and state director of the Office of Special Education with the Department of Education here in Nebraska, as our special guest who's going to be joining us to inform us about what's going on and to also give us a sense of what to expect to coming up in the not too distant future. And so, Amy, thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. So excited to be here. Thank you. Oh, just really grateful for your time. And this came about because uh, the Department of Education works with our ESUs through Rule 84 and the meetings that we get the opportunity to take part in. Uh, and when I heard you present on this topic, I was just really inspired by the work that you all are getting a chance to do. And it's my understanding that there's a lot of backstory, I guess, to where this work was kind of born out of. And so let's just kind of start telling the story there. Uh, Amy, what was the impetus for really getting into uh, all that we're going to get a chance to cover today? Yeah, exciting story, uh, sometimes long, but I'll try and sum it up. Really, the last two years has provided all states with a great opportunity to really rethink where we were with special education instruction delivery. Um, with the addition of the ESSERS dollars provided by the U.S. Department of Education, the Department of Education in Nebraska focused key resources on a real rethink, renew, revive approach, uh, and we ended with the goal being renewal and acceleration. But we really knew that before we got to where we wanted to be, we had to take a look at where we were. Uh, so there are 244 districts in Nebraska, and every single one of these districts serves students with disabilities. Uh, and you're like, duh, right? But oftentimes when we have conversations, we are presented with, oh, but we don't have those kids because often we think of students with disabilities as our like medical fragile, our students with physical or visible disabilities, but really the hidden disability or the, the learning difficulties that come along with disabilities is really what we look at. And we know in Nebraska, there are districts being extremely rural and containing less than 500 students all the way up to you know, large scale urban districts. Uh, and we needed to think about how we were serving every single student with disabilities in our districts. So the story really starts with 19% of our total student population are students with disabilities. And of this 19% student total, 50% of those students with disabilities fall into two disability categories. 29% of those students being identified as students with specific learning disabilities and 21% being identified as speech language impairment or SLI. And we knew that according to our districts, about 68% of our students with disabilities total, so 68% of that 19%, very convoluted, uh, are really in the general education classroom for 80% or more of the day. So that sounds really exciting. And then as we really started to think about things, we had to start looking at our proficiency data or the information that we knew how students were doing when they were spending time in that general education classroom. And our renewal and acceleration focus really helped us to think through that because 
students weren't necessarily gaining or showing the outcomes that we would expect to see should they align to their non-disabled peers that were also in those general education classrooms. So in 2021, uh, according to our statewide assessment data, only about 25% of our fourth graders on the ELA assessment were scoring proficient, which means only 25% of them knew or scored on the statewide assessment at a level of proficiency or at state standards or above. This is compared to 54% of our students without disabilities. And like the reality is 54%, so just a little over half of our fourth graders are proficient in the state. That's not great, right? We want to be better than that. But 25% of our student so if you think back to what I just said, 19% of the total population, only 25% of that 19% are proficient in English language arts. That's not okay. And we need to rethink and renew what we're doing for our students with disabilities. And with those proficiency rates, I guess uh, we got a chance ahead of the podcast today to talk a little bit about uh, why fourth grade, where this is all coming from, why did, why were these the markers? I guess that uh, uh, we're focusing in on here, and that that is striking data. Yeah, and so we use fourth grade as our initial measuring stick uh, because that's what the federal government uses. Uh, the federal government asks us, the states, to report annually on the performance of students and what proficiency levels at fourth grade, eighth grade, and 11th grade. So they take certain points in time. It also really aligns for us and uh, quite a few other states because most states have reading acts or reading initiatives in their kindergarten through third grade level, because that's really the, the time where kids are learning to read rather than reading to learn. So there is a shift at that fourth grade level. So we take points in time um, at third grade. Our students in third grade are taking the statewide assessment. So we take that third grade where students with disabilities landed, and then we take that fourth grade kind of point in time. And we that's where they also establish that gap. In special ed, we hear all the time that there's this learning gap. Yes, because the proficiency rates from third grade to fourth grade have decreased, increasing the gap for our students with disabilities. And so then with that, I guess, as we're starting to think through ways to, as you said, kind of enhance or rethink the practices that we've uh, historically invested in. Where does this kind of go then with regards to, because we talked a little bit about grade level instruction. Yeah. So we knew with the, the renewal and acceleration push, we really had a lot of districts that were focusing in on high quality instructional materials, um, really aligning that high quality material to high quality instructional methodology. And so at the agency, the Department of Education, we really needed to step back and rethink how we were working to support schools in that total systems approach. Uh, so many have heard me talk about the coherence project or the Nebraska MTSS coherence work that is happening. So we, we have lots of initiatives and lots of uh, like projects happening in the world of inclusion, but really 
nothing works if you do it in isolation. So we knew in order to get the biggest bang for our buck, no pun intended, we really had to think about how we support schools and districts in their total system build so that they could start plugging in the initiatives around inclusion, the initiatives around high quality instructional material, um, the very best and have it be sustained. So the Nebraska MTSS Coherence Project was started in 2020. We started with four offices at the NDE, the Office of Teaching, Learning, and Assessment, the Office of Special Education, the Office of Coordinated School and District Support, and Coordinated Student Support. And we really thought around how all of these four offices come together, align their language, align their approach. We heard often from schools, Amy, you were just out here last week working with us on this, and you told us this, and we thought we understood. And then Mickey from accreditation came out the next week, or Shirley from uh, school improvement came out the next week, and they told us to do this. And we think you guys were saying the same thing, but we're not really quite sure. So uh, we knew at the Department of Education that we were actually creating duplicity or redundancy. So in order to reduce redundancy, we are really working to offer additional implementation supports. We did a deep dive, really rethought our essential elements and how we could, through NEMTSS, make implementation supports look different and streamlined. So um, the MTSS Coherence Project really leads to total system support and change for school districts, while each individual office, not just the four that I talked about uh, previously, but truly every office at the Department of Education is coherent and working to support the end goal, which is improved student outcomes, right? I love that. And, and a moment ago, you were talking about elements. Is that uh, something that we could get into a little bit more too, like to identify what some of those elements are? Yeah. So the, the coherence work really established. So in 2017-18, when we first started our MTSS work, we had six essential elements. The dive that we did around coherence has led to four essential elements. None have been eliminated, we really just took a look at where we were creating some duplicity. So we now have four essential elements that lead to decision-making around database decision-making, shared leadership, communication, collaboration, and support, layered continuum of support. That includes a balanced assessment system so that you get the data that you need so that you can make those decisions. And then ultimately, how we engage the community, the schools, and everyone uh, the, you hear the saying, it takes a village. Uh, it truly does take a village to raise kids these days. And so we really had to think about how we pull every aspect into what we believe is essential for creating a system to support schools and the improved outcomes. So through those redesign of those essential elements, we also have redesigned our implementation supports that will follow for schools so that schools can see 
Um, when a school is identified as CSI or TSI or ATSI, they don't have to start thinking about the next new thing that they're doing. Rather, they can start seeing how they can implement additional supports or targeted supports in the work that they're doing to make those tiny shifts that are needed to improve in the different subgroups that are identified in that school improvement work. I absolutely love hearing about all of this. And I realize this is going to be a little tangential, but it it speaks to some of the conversations that I feel like I've been a part of in the ESU network where the blended learning work group, for example, was very interested in what, what are SDA doing? Because really to do blended learning well, you obviously want to be aligned to whatever the current initiatives are and let technology come alongside that and enhance it, uh, amongst which at least at the moment in our conversations, the UDL uh, work is yes. right towards the front. And so UDL and blended learning and having the opportunity to try to design that learning experience to create accessibility for all learners. So I'm sure that's there's some inclusion practices Absolutely. that cross yeah, over there. It's really the key of what we're doing. And sort of pivotal time, like you never want to capitalize on on shortfalls, but really we're experiencing record-breaking teacher shortages right now, right? And the largest area of teacher shortage is special education. So we have districts who are in total panic because they do not believe they'll be able to support their students with disabilities moving forward because they're going to lose their special education teachers. So part of what we're trying to do in our inclusion work is really rethink this approach to the old antiquated model of resource pullout. Because the research very clearly tells us students who are pulled out of grade level instruction who receive supports either on different materials or different grade levels don't achieve at the levels at which those who receive high quality instruction at grade level by experts. This, this crazy notion that only special education teachers can teach kids. I can tell you, I was a special education teacher. I'm not so sure I'm the most qualified to teach a struggling third grade reader how to read. I think we really need to rethink our grade level, or our general education teachers as the true subject matter expert. A special education teacher can't know every single grade level standard. Our third grade teachers, our first grade teachers, our kindergarten teachers, they know their standards, their students, and what their students need to learn, as well as what they should be ready to learn next. And that's a really key point to proficiency, is we have to get students to the point where they know that teachers know what they should learn next based on their scaffolding, their grade level standards, and what needs to happen for students. And so our goal with our uh, inclusion work is to really help teachers identify that, especially in a time where we're not we're not even going to pretend to say, teachers, you can do this. Uh, you're a general education teacher. You can 
now have all of those sped kids in your classroom. Absolutely not. This is a shift that a gradual need that we're going to have to really address through amazing and, and high quality professional development, collaboration and support amongst special education teachers and general education teachers so that we have best practices in place, so that we have supports in place, because just as important as our mental health supports to our students is mental health supports to our educators so that we have the best people showing up in their best mindsets every day to support all of our students, but specifically our students with disabilities. Well, and I really just find this conversation to be so much at the the heart of all the different initiatives that are out there, right? I was even going to expound upon it and say like the MTSS work uh, is something that we do a, a social media live show through the ESUCC uh, once a month. And it started with that blended learning. It looked at UDL and it went to MTSS. And now we're actually having conversations about how do we get some of our friends and colleagues in special education to join us for an upcoming episode. So we can continue to like illustrate, I think, this whole coherence piece that you're talking about in that the more that we can streamline that, it is going to make it easier for educators to wrap their mind around what, what's the expectation at this point and how do I best serve kids? And I love the point you made there too about uh, being able to communicate to learners where they're at and, and that there is a plan and a direction for where they could uh, and hopefully will go. So I, I love hearing uh, about all that as well. Uh, with all of those aims uh, out there, I guess, uh, what are some of the efforts being made to bring those into practice, right? And we already talked a little bit about redesigning the implementation supports, um, the coherence work at NDE, but really starting to find additional ways to get to trickle down into the classroom setting uh, to impact students. Yeah, so the Office of Special Education, uh, I talked a, a little bit ago about those additional ESSERS dollars. So we're using some additional ESSERS dollars and partnering with a national TA center SPED Strategies, who is focused on high quality inclusion and, and making it work. What we know is you can, you can put out all sorts of guidance documents. There are about one to 2% that can pick up a document, read it and implement. But really the proof is in the pudding. And if you can see it work, then it's usually more easily transferable. So we decided to start um, small scale with two pilot districts in Nebraska. So we have Scotts Bluff Public Schools and Blair Community Schools who have partnered with us and they are our pilot districts that we've been working with alongside with SPED strategies, really going in, helping to rethink the mindsets of teachers, to give them professional development so that they know what collaboration and communication looks like amongst special education and general education. In Scotts Bluff, they decided to work at the middle school level and start central and then branch out into elementary and high school, whereas Blair uh, decided to start at their elementary and then scale up into their middle school and secondary so that we have a couple different models to start emulating across the state. So we started with mindsets, then we're going to move our way into governance and funding structures. Uh, because oftentimes we find ourselves just doing things the way that we've done things for uh, the year previous, 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 sometimes clear back, right? So really disrupting what we have known and start thinking about what might work better. 
as we think about funding for special education, uh, just needs to look differently. And then we also really uh, have honed in on instructional practices. We have a video out there right now that highlights the work that's been happening in Blair, and it's exciting. We we interviewed teachers, and the one teacher who we've spent a lot of time really honing in on the instructional practices and skill sets of the collaboration that needs to happen with the special education teacher, the, the mindset that sh- that teacher needed to have to believe, to truly believe that as a general education teacher, she could work with students with disabilities and have high expectations of students with disabilities and not let those expectations lower the performance of those students. And in our interview with her, she says she's been teaching for 16 years and she thinks that this year she is the best teacher she's ever been. It's so exciting, like literally gives me goosebumps as I talk to the teachers and and look at what's happening. So then our plan is to scale out. Once we have the two pilots uh, at a place where we really think that we can start seeing some of those practices transferable, this year we're going to work with the ESUs that support those two pilot uh, districts as well as ESU 10, kind of just as a central point so that we can start thinking about this statewide. We're going to start really building the supports within the ESUs so that they can coach uh, provide professional development and offer supports. Most of our rural districts really rely on their ESUs for those special education services, related services, supplementary aids and services, and professional learning opportunities around special education. So how can we really help the ESU uh, individuals to feel like they're the very best that they can be when they go into schools to to provide this support. So that partnership has been invaluable. Uh, And so really thinking about how we scale that up, uh, utilizing those three pilot ESUs, and then how do we get it to every single ESU in the state? Because our end goal is every single school in Nebraska supporting every single student the way that they deserve to be supported. Uh, And we know we can only do this if we do it together. Such a powerful collaboration there is what I would say, right? And and the thoughtful consideration of letting those pilot districts have some agency in in how they build that out and then getting a chance to learn from that. And at the same time, uh, bringing in those ESU partnerships, which you're right, this is what we're all about. (laughs) We really... uh, uh, have so many great folks working across the state with districts and school leadership and classroom practitioners to help them uh, just continue to enhance what they're doing. Like you said, that that teacher that's been teaching for 16 years has probably historically been phenomenal. And this yeah, is like the absolutely. best she's ever been 16 years later. And so that's just really inspiring uh, to hear that lifelong learning, you know, obviously gets fed by efforts like this and the chance that we get to grow as professionals. And uh, for anyone who might be interested in that particular video, which I am, where could they find that? Yeah. So our uh, Department of Education website, education.ne.gov backslash sped has a page called journey to inclusion. So on the left-hand scroll bar, you'll find the journey to inclusion page and there you'll find tons of resources. We've created guidance documents. We have some really specific research briefs around universal design for learning, all of the aspects that you think of when you think of inclusion. But then it 
also has some video testimonials. The video that I talked about earlier, just really uh, showing and highlighting the life of the student who has been impacted by our pilot program, as well as just some true implementation support uh, that is needed as we think through. It, it's easy to say, oh, I went to this training, but if the training doesn't align with the, now that you're back in the district, what you're gonna do, uh, but sometimes, not sometimes, almost all the time, we go to trainings with the very best intentions. We go to workshops and we think, oh, I'm gonna go back in my district and I'm gonna do this, 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 now that I've learned it. And you go back into your district and you're faced with this, this, and this that was there the day before that you have to put those fires out. You have to continue to do your day-to-day -day work. So how do you how do you transfer the knowledge and learning that you get in those professional workshops and development into true practice? And so we have some great uh, instructional planning guides. We just released the elementary instructional planning guide um, that is layered with supports around MTSS implementation, as well as true inclusive practices for students, and really just a, a rethink around what we can do for our students. So you can find all of that on our website. I'll definitely be sure to include that in the show notes. And so if people are interested, you can access the link there. And uh, that does sort of harken back to some of the NDEC team conversations that I've yep. heard as well with regards to support and development. And certainly we can have the development piece, which would be the onboarding to some of the new learning or additional practices and strategies, but it's that ongoing support that's really critical. And so it's great to hear that you can access that site for some of the resources uh, and some of those support documents, uh, but that also, you know, as our capacity to support this work at the ESU level continues to expand and grow, then that will also give folks um, yeah. someone to talk to and to collaborate yeah. with. And uh, that avenue is also uh, really important and something that it sounds like is really intentional here as we're scaling yeah. this up across Nebraska. And so, uh, Amy, I, I say it every week, half hour goes really fast. Uh, and so uh, I want to make sure to leave a little bit of space and time here uh, as we bring things to a close to just give uh, you the opportunity. What have we not talked about yet or what is something that we could point folks to it's great that we got a chance to highlight the resources that they can find on the nde page uh, for special education but yeah or maybe even a parting message i'll give you a little space to kind of bring us home oh wow because i think that we should probably plan like 20 more 30 minute <laughs> moments because i think <laughs> we could just talk about like any there's so much to our educational systems right now but i think the biggest message that I, I want to leave with people is education is, is shifting, changing the landscape of education right now. And I think all too often we as educators get laden with the, the burden of changing the world. And politically, uh, there are lots of people who think things should look one way and lots of people who think things should look another way, but the only way things should look is up for students. And I know that sounds super cheesy, but um, we do have really good people with really good intentions and really good hearts for our kids in Nebraska. 
And so I believe fully that if each and every one of us continue to remember our North Star and why we all got into this field in the first place, regardless of what you do in education, regardless of if you're a lunch lady, regardless of if you're a technology person supporting schools or you're a general education teacher, special education teacher, administrator, whatever it is, your North Star one day told you you wanted to change the life of a student. So just keep remembering that. Let all the muck disappear. Let all of the messages be drowned out and just keep doing what you're doing for kids. And we will get to where we need to be for our students. Oh, I got goosebumps over here, Amy. Yes, I totally appreciate that message from the heart. And that resonates with me on as we continue to record conversations with this podcast, because you're right, there are incredible people in our state that are doing incredible work uh, with the kind of heart and intentionality that you're you're describing there. And so thank you for being on our show today uh, yeah, to be you. one of those people in using this avenue. And it is just so great to connect and learn more uh, about some of the things that you're doing. And so we hope to have you back at some point in time as uh, situations allow. Like you said, I'm sure we could talk all day, but uh, for what we were able to capture today, thank you for sharing that. And again, I want to point folks to the resource uh, that's available through the NDE site so that individuals can learn more and get some of that support. Yeah, great. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.